Thank you, Yvonne, for your transparency, honesty, and your courage. Uh, you know, it's so amazing to hear how God used you to come out of your spiritual ruins. Uh, well, good morning, CLC. It's Pastor Ben here. And would you like to turn your Bibles to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 4? Yes, chapter 4. Actually, we are skipping chapter 3, but coming back to it as a Thanksgiving message. And you know, uh, I can't believe that Thanksgiving is just around the corner. And one of the reasons that I look forward to Thanksgiving is that in our house, uh, we don't eat turkey. But rather, this is the only time of the year where we get to eat Korean short ribs, kalbi. Now, uh, whatever the reason that you're looking forward to Thanksgiving this year, I just pray that all of us will have a heart of Thanksgiving, especially as we are worshiping apart or maybe we're just a little discouraged under COVID. Amen? Amen. Now, for those who are joining in us for the first time, here's a little recap of the book of Nehemiah so far. So Nehemiah was a Hebrew, a layman, a layman, right? <laughs> Living in Persia, uh, when the, world, uh, the word reached him in the temple of Israel that, you know, the temple of Jerusalem is going to be reconstructed some 500 miles away, and he grew anxious, uh, knowing that there was no wall to protect the city. Now, his heart began to ache because there was no wall to protect the people from the outside intruders. You know, people often ask me, hey, Pastor Ben, how do you hear the voice of God? Uh, is it a clear, audible voice that comes to you and says, Take off thy shoes because you are standing on a holy ground. Or is it a very subtle sound in the wind that kind of whispers to you? Now, one of the ways in which I think God speaks to us is when no one seems to care, you care. When no one seems to matter, there is a stir in your heart. While people are listening to the same sermon and oh, yawning, but for you, your heart begins to beat faster. While the rest of the people are saying, oh, that was really a nice sermon. But you, on the other hand, is challenged and pumped up. And you begin to motivate others to join in this cause and matter for the kingdom of God. And you see yourself already rolling up your sleeves, and you see yourself getting dirty in the trenches, like for social justice or Black Lives Matter. You see, God never appeared to Nehemiah in person or in a dream to go and build that wall. But by just hearing the news from one of his brothers far, far away, his heart began to motivate his brain to make a certain plan of his actions. So how does he start? He begins by praying to God. And with this close proximity and to the high credibility of the king, soon Nehemiah is off to Jerusalem with a royal leave of absence, a, a building permit, and with a military escort to build a wall in Jerusalem. And when he arrives, he, he quickly mobilized the volunteers to rebuild a section of the city which was crumbling. And these folks in verse 6 had a mind to work. Now, when it seemed that all things were going according to the blueprints, there appears a Sam Ballot and Tobiah enters the picture. Now, 
Sambalat the Horonite became angry and Tobiah the Ammonite started to taunt in opposition to what Nehemiah came to do. To what? To rebuild the wall. If you take a look at verse 1, now when Sambalat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged and he jeered at the Jews. Now, here's a principle that I learned a long time ago. How do you know if this, that something that you're doing is the will of God, how? By how many people are opposing you? You know, if you know Jesus Christ and attempt to accomplish anything, especially trying to expand the kingdom for him, the, de- the enemy will definitely oppose you. Sam Ballard, the governor of Samaria, became furious and very angry. Now, I want you to take a notice of this word. Now, this word does not mean, hmm, I'm mad at you, so you better watch out. But that this Hebrew word really means burning mad, furious anger. You see, there was smoke coming out of his ears. A secure and independent Jerusalem will be threatened or would threaten their hold on the area and undermine their control of the trade route through the regions, thus hurting their economy. So for the time being, Sam Ballad dropped his differences with the Ammonite to the east, Arab to the south, and the Philistines to the west. In burning anger over what Nehemiah was doing, he stirs up all these people to come together, threatening to stop the work of God by violence if necessary. Now, Sam Ballad and his buddies gather within hearing the distance of the wall, and they threw a bunch of sarcastic remarks. Look at verse 2. What are, are these feeble Jews doing? You are going to restore it for yourselves? Can you do it in a day? Can, can you revive stones from a dusty bu- uh, bubble, I, even the burned ones? Now, after each rhetorical questions, his buddies probably roared with laughter. And now Tobiah throws in his sarcastic jab. If a fox should jump on your poor excuse for a wall, it's going to fall down. You know, um, one of the ways in which the enemy will discourage our faith is through the taunts of the unbelievers or even from the unbelieving family members. You know, my wife um, became a Christian at the age of 16 until she married me. The, The taunts of her unbelieving family members made her discouraged at many, many times. Like comments like, you, come on, give me a break. What can you do? I mean, you're so inexperienced. Or how about this one? You're just a girl. You know, next week, we're going to go into further into this thought. But more than the taunts of the unbelievers, you know, what discourages us most is when these kinds of sarcasm and taunts come from within. Those who are close to us. You see, discouraging people and their discouraging comments can talk us out of our dreams. Look, look in verse 2. The stones, the building materials are now called rubbish. You know, No doubt there were some rubbishes there that needed to be taken out. But these raw materials needed for rebuilding and now once they saw it as a 
building material with great zeal and joy are now considered what? Rubbish. Isn't it so often that we live in a world, as, as much as we try to live faithfully, we are bombarded by such negativities. And Satan frequently uses ridicules against those who stand for the Lord. See, I, I knew you were no different. Ah, Christians, you guys are a bunch of hypocrites. You see, these kinds of discouraging comments threaten our commitments to live a life of godly lifestyles. And if we are constantly hearing these kinds of discouragement, soon it will rub off on us. What do you know about a building of a wall, you feeble Jews? Indeed, if a fox climbs up on that wall, it will break down their stone wall. You know, Tobiah makes an accusation here that the wall is so weak that a fox walking on it would cause it to fall. Now, how does this accusation compare with reality? You see, the answer is that this, 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 real, this, this accusation is completely stretched out. If you have read the book of Nehemiah, the wall was nine feet deep, thick when the Nehemiah finishes building. So you see, when Satan frequently uses his far-fetched ridicules against those who are willing to take a stand for the Lord, Satan wants us to become feeble and wimble so that we wouldn't live up to God's visions and God's dreams. So the enemy will discourage our faith so that our spiritual walls will still be in ruin. But why? I mean, why go through all these troubles? I understand if the wall is set up, he will lose some dollars and some popularity. But why this furious anger? What was behind or who was behind Sam Ballot's furious anger? You know, I think I was in a sophomore in high school when I read the book. Little Prince by the French aviator and the writer Antoine de Saint-Spirit. Now, if you have never read it, let me share with you a little short synopsis of the story behind Little Prince. Now, one day, a mysterious rose sprouted on the planet, and the little prince fell in love with that rose. But when he caught the rose in a lie one day, he decided that he could not trust her anymore. He grew lonely and decided to leave. Now, despite a last-minute reconciliation with the rose, the prince set out to explore other planets to cure for his loneliness, and he lands on Earth, where he meets a fox, where he tells of the secret, the secret of the fox. And this is what the fox says to the prince. Now, here is my little secret. It is very simple secret. It is only within the heart that one can see rightly. What is invisible to the physical eye. Let me repeat it. The secret of the fox is, it is only with the heart that one can see rightly. What is essential is invisible to the naked eye. Now, the fox tries to warn little prince that sometimes as an adult, we have certain tendencies to make judgment based upon our past experiences and precepts. You see, adults have become rigid in their thinking so that they can't think out of the box. And the fox continues that there are many things in this world that we cannot see with our physical eyes, but they do exist. 
what was the secret of the fox? But what is essential is invisible to the physical eye. And the fox tries to show and prove to the little prince a picture, and he asks. So, little prince or CLC, what do you see? What do you see? Do you see just a hat? But in reality, it's not a hat. It's a picture of a boa swallowing and an elephant. Now, was it a coincidence that Samballot, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite, opposed Nehemiah because it would mean the spotlight would turn off from them? And the burning anger came from jealousy that their profits of being a governor in that area would be diminished? Yes, certainly there lies, but there's more. What is essential is invisible to the physical eye. Now, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, I'm going to read it from the New Living Translations. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood, but against evil rulers, authorities of the unseen world, against the mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits, even the heavenly places. You know, Paul warns us that our struggle seems to be against flesh and blood. But is it? But it isn't. The ultimate reality is that we are in a spiritual battle. The invisible world affects and influences the visible realm. And the secret of the fox, what is essential is invisible to the physical eye. Now, you ever try to evangelize to a person and you try to make him come to to, to your church. I mean, you, you plan it out. You, you schedule it. It's all set. But just few hours from the service time, you get a call. Hey, Pastor Ben, I, I'm so sorry, but you know what? I can't make it today because I, I came down with the flu. I mean, you called him like 10 hours before, right? You called him to make sure, but, you know, he called you right before the service time. Hey, I'm sick. What about this one? This happened to me many, many times. You try to evangelize to a person, trying to come to you, make him come to your church. But on the way to church, he or she get into a car accident. Coincidence? Hardly not. Now, who were the Horonites and the Ammonites? Those of you guys who know uh, uh, the Old Testament a little bit, that the Horonites and the Ammonites, in 1 Kings 11, verse 7, then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abnation of Moab, on the hill that is east of Jerusalem, and for Malak, the abnation of the people of Amnon. Now, do you guys know who Molech was? You see, Ammonites were the people who sacrificed their own children to peace, their god Molech. And the Bible tells us that especially these two tribes, the Ammonites, the Horonites, the descendants of the Moabites, were the greatest enemies of God. So do you know what God tells them? God tells them that they shall never enter the assembly of the Lord forever. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 3. An Ammonite or the Moabite shall never enter the assembly of the Lord. Even to the 10th of generations, none of his descendants shall enter the assembly of the Lord forever. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that, you know what? God has despised these two 
descendants, Ammonites and the Moabites. Now, what does the wall represent? You see, the wall represents our spiritual growth. And it will not fall down because it is from God. And who is orchestrating its constructions? And what Nehemiah is doing is, is leading the people to rebuild of the wall in Jerusalem. And if we will, and, and God does the bidding, if we obey the instruction given us to by his word, I mean, we will grow spiritually. And we will build up as the wall around Jerusalem is built up. You see, the wall to the Jews gave two advantages. First, it was the protection that it provided for the people of God from their enemies. But spiritually, the wall represented a spiritual protection from God. God wants to be established in each believer's lives. Now, the second advantage of the wall provided that it would enable the Jews in Jerusalem to control their interactions within the enemies. Now, specifically, the presence of the wall meant that everyone had to enter and exit through the gates, which could be locked as needed, or allowing them to celebrate Sabbath without any destructions and temptations. Now, we're going to get to see this a little bit more. If you read in Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 9 through 22, it really, really describes the representation of the wall. Now, likewise, as believers, our interaction with the world around us is to be controlled by our relationship with God. Now, sometimes we will need to shut out the world so that we can spend the intimate time with our Savior. Now, do you now understand the spiritual reasoning behind Sambalah's furious anger at Nehemiah? Nehemiah, man of God, trying to rebuild that wall. And after the reconstruction of that wall, what was Satan really, really afraid of? What was he really afraid of? The spiritual revival in the lives of all those people. You see, Satan became content when the Israelites turned to other gods and they lived in captivity under Persian rule, living in physical and spiritual ruins. But ah, but now a spirit filled Nehemiah. Is trying to end all that. Nehemiah knew that God wanted to bring about a restoration in his people. Who's been living in captivity, in ruins. But now, what is Nehemiah doing? He's motivating the hearts of his people toward who? Toward God. And Nehemiah saw that this spiritual attack. And that's why Nehemiah rebukes them with the harsh prayer in verse 4. Hear, O Lord God, we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to the land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity. Do not let their sin be blotted out from before you, for they have provoked you in anger before the builders. You see, Nehemiah knew who the real culprit of Sambalus' anger was and who it was coming from. From the outside, it seems like who was jealous and he was fear of losing the territory of power. But on Sanballat's behalf, but Nehemiah discerned from a spiritual perspective that this was a spiritual warfare. And he knew that it could only be fought with a spiritual weapon, which is what? Prayers. You know that our prayers 
penetrate a spiritual zone. We are communicating through the air over a hostile territory. But when we pray, we're setting ourselves in a direct opposition to the demonic activity of this world. So that's why when Paul talks about spiritual warfare in Ephesians chapter 6, he says that prayer is the seventh piece of the armor, which activates all the rest of the spiritual armor. But when we refuse to pray, it's like having a refrigerator without plugging it in. You see, prayer is the divinely authorized. Uh, 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 prayer is the divinely authorized mechanism of God, which is given to us to tap into God's special power. And without power, we'll be ineffective in a spiritual warfare. But with it, we become victorious. You know, um, Satan is not afraid of the common man. But do you know who Satan is afraid of? The born-again, spirit-filled men and women. People of prayers who actually have Christ in them and who wants to expand the kingdom of God. And upon the completion of the wall, God's kingdom will be expanded while Satan's kingdoms will be diminished. And what Satan fears the most is when God's will be done on earth that is in heaven. Now, do you guys remember the story of Jesus restoring the demon-possessed man from the Cyrenees in Mark chapter 5? Where Jesus releases a legion of demons from a man. And he tries to cross over to the other side, leaving the multitude. And do you guys know? What does he face? What does he meet? He meets a storm. Now, Jesus had met different kinds of storms. And what's so interesting about this story or about this storm is that Jesus, he rebukes it. And if you take a look in the last part of Mark chapter 4. Now, isn't it odd that the creator of the universe, creator of this wind and the waves, rebuking the waves? Why? You see, Jesus knew. Who was behind the wave? Jesus knew that it was Satan prohibiting him to go to the other side. But why? I, I mean, Jesus met a lot of people. and He healed a lot of the multitudes. But why this man? Why this man was so different? In what the man did after he got saved. Let me share with you in Mark chapter 5, verse 19 through 20. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them what the great things the Lord has done for you and how he has the compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and all were marveled. Now, do you see this? What did this man do? When he got saved, when he met Jesus... He began to proclaim the gospel to where? To Decapolis. Not one city, but to ten cities of who Jesus is with. You know, as long as we live in one foot in the world and living according to the world's values and for the world's goals, do you know that Satan won't bother us? You see, we could go to church. We can pray and we can read the Bibles, but Satan won't mind. But the minute that we wake up from our spiritual lethargy, 
shake off the worldly mindset and commit ourselves to the radical, God-honoring, and God-fearing people in coming to obedience to Jesus Christ, then we will encounter spiritual oppositions, especially when we start to invade the dark territories as we start to bring back the non-believers into the light. You know, over the few, uh, few past few months, as I'm watching and reading what COVID has done to our lives and to churches, I, I want to throw out a question. For the past seven months during shelter in place, has your spirituality, uh, spirituality grown or is your spiritual wall still lying in ruins? Let me repeat. For the past seven months, during shelter in place, has your spirituality grown or is your spiritual wall still lying in ruins? You see, Satan doesn't mind if we have a Bible in one hand and a remote control in the other. Satan doesn't mind if we watch our services in person, via internet, or even gather along together to sing and hear the soothing sermons. See, this is no threat to the domain of this darkness. But when we start to preach of the good news that convicts the heart of the sinners of our sins in the presence of the holy God and points them back to cross, look out. When we start to live as a flock of obedience, holy living in this wicked world, look out. When we start to live a direct vision of this ministry toward the unreached nations who are waiting to hear of the gospel, look out. Because the enemy is committed to opposing that kind of a work. And we need to be ready for such oppositions. And we need to know how to respond to all these oppositions. See, when the enemy opposes us, as he surely will, we ought to respond with prayer and work and vigilance to focus on back to the Lord. You know, I, I want to conclude with the challenging applications. Two weeks ago, um, we had Wayne Chen from Radius and David Rowe, one of our very own missionary, come and speak to us about CLC as ascending church. I want to throw out this question. What stirred in your heart? What did God spoke to you, or, or did you just think of it as, oh, that was a nice sermon? Once again, Satan never bothers with the half-hearted people who are content with a kind of a whole home spiritual existence. But when we come on fire for Christ, look out. Because the name Satan means adversary. He is committed to opposing God and his people, especially when we become zealous with a Z to exalt God's glory and willing to expand for his kingdom. You see, with all these oppositions, with all these taunts of the unbelievers, finally, you know what the greatest solution Nehemiah gives to us? Nehemiah gives us hope in all these oppositions in verse 14. And this is what he says. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome as he. 
You know, um, we just came off of a faith series. Faith makes all things possible. Love makes all things easy. But hope in God makes all things work. Let me repeat. Faith makes all things possible. Love makes all things easy. Uh, but hope. Hope in God. Remembering what God has done in our lives. Make all things work. Let's pray. Father God, this morning, help us to hear you say that you are our hope over all the other voices in our lives. Jesus, we want to run to you with both of our hands stretched out, wanting to grab a hold of you more and more each day. Lord, would you fill us with hope and give us the tangible reminder today that hope is the unbreakable spiritual lifeline when it comes from you. So in the attitude of our worship today, the spirit of praise and submission, we allow you to work in our lives, in our hearts, to do the necessary things that what is lacking, you add them. If there are things that needs to be extracted, please remove them. What is interfering with our walk, would you remove them? Father God, however long, some years, months, and days that we have made a conscientious decision to follow you, and the fact that we say, Lord, hear you. You take the keys of our lives, and you drive here. You take the lives of our lives, and we are at disposable of your biddings. And so today, Father God, when you've given us the hope, we want to live lives for you. Father, I thank you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.